As today we look back upon uh, 2007 and the lives have been changed and people, uh, the way people have been touched, I pray that you just uh, uh, hear our worship and uh, help us to know you better. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you that are probably under the age of, I don't know, 30, uh, 20, let's say 20. You, you probably uh, don't remember these things called cassette tapes or, or VHS tapes. One of my daughters was at someone else's house, and they pulled out their old VHS tapes, and she was what is that? She didn't have any, any idea what it was. Well, for those of you that don't know what cassette tapes are, you could do this really cool thing. You, you could rewind them and wait until it got all the way back to the beginning. You remember those days? And, and, you know, it's not like a DVD where you hit menu. You had to hit that button and rewind. What we're going to do today for a few minutes is we're going to rewind and look at 2007, and I'm going to re-share with you some ideas that, based on your responses, really hit home and really made sense to a lot of people. Because when the teaching team and I get together, we're, our goal is that, that we just don't get up here and just talk. I mean, we, we think about, pray about rehash and go over and over, how is this going to help somebody change their life? How is this going to help somebody walk out the door and take a step in a positive direction? How is this going to help somebody look inside their heart and maybe change some things they need to change? And throughout the year, although I would like to think 100% of the time, it's like, yeah, that was perfect. It hit home. I understand we're all human. That's not possible. But a lot of times, something hits home and a point strikes a chord with somebody. And a lot of people come and say, I needed to hear that. It sounded like you were just talking to me. I'm going to share some of those things with you today. And I'm not going to go through, you're probably like, man, I should have slept in. He's just going to like, do, it's like a rerun. No, it's not. There's a few new things in there. But I am going to go back and pick some points throughout the year that really hit home with people. I'm going to start with just a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, I did a message called Glocal. A lot of things happened leading up to that message called Glocal that led my heart towards leading us to reach out to the world, to reach out to people who often get forgotten, to reach out to the people Christ hung out with when he was on earth. Not only to look inside and see what we can do, but also to reach out to the world. So, I revealed to you the plan, we're gonna, how we're going to reach out globally and how we're going to reach out locally. If you'd like to hear more about that or read more about it, just go to our website, click on the word glocal, and it'll tell you how you can participate in that. But a few months back, we began to think and talk about our year-end special offering. And if you were here, you know that we decided that all of that would go, no matter where the budget was, it didn't really matter, all of that would go to help the needs of the poor and the homeless and the sick and to people who need to know about Christ's love, maybe even on a very basic level. But all of that would go. Usually on the back of the program, there are some numbers that could, would tell you, um, you know, how much you gave and where the budget and all that is. But because of an early printing, because of the holiday, that's not on there. It'll be back next week. But you gave two weeks ago to the special offering for our global mission on how we're going to do our part to make a difference in the world, you gave over $60,000. And 
I was just blown away. When I sat in my office and prayed, the number that I, that I don't share with you beforehand, but the number that was in my mind was, what if our church gave $50,000 just to reach out? Not to take for any, anything, any equipment, any budget, anything like that. We just looked at missions and how we're going to have an impact on the world in doing our part. What if our church in our little corner of the world could give $50,000 and then God gave more through you than I even imagined? So thank you for that. That was just a couple of weeks ago. Before that, you heard a message called Extend. And I talked about how we are going to extend as a church, how, how we're going to reach out in even greater ways in the community. As you can see, you know, today, wow, we had to ask you to, to squeeze in and a bunch of people in here. And we thought, well, how can we continue to reach out into the community with what we're doing, what we feel like God's doing through us. We feel like we have a message that the world needs to hear. We feel like we do it in a unique way. How can we do that without spending $10 million? And through a lot of prayer, a lot of research, just a, a lot of discussions and group prayers together, this idea of becoming a multiple site church, and you can read about that on our website too if you don't know what that means. But basically what it means is we're going to be one church meeting in two locations. The other one's going to be in the Wakefield Cinema starting February the 24th. That's 50, how many days? In your, 53 days? I saw that this morning. I was like, I had to be resuscitated because that's pretty soon. But God's doing an amazing work, and what a privilege it is to be able to take part in it. What a privilege it is to, to hear about 100 people say, I want to be part of that. I want to go there and be part of that. To hear... 450 people say, we're with it. We want to do it. We want to become this one church that meets in two locations. And in that, I also talked about how we were going to reach out to the community, which ended up becoming the message called Glocal. Rewind a little bit further back into the fall. I did a message series along with the other two guys on the teaching team called Typical. One day I was reading my Bible. I was reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus Christ is preaching, teaching to a group of people. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts out many of his phrases and many of his uh, points on that day saying, you have heard that it was said this, but I tell you that. You, you've lived this way, but I'm challenging you to live in a whole new way. Jesus is saying, don't be typical. And I read that, and I thought, man, I want to teach about that. That's cool. That, everything Jesus says is cool, but that day, that seemed particularly cool to me. So, so I kind of filed that away, and then I was driving down the road one day, listening to one of my favorite bands, Mute Math. Anybody like Mute Math? Three people. They're really cool, too. Um, they have this song called Typical, and I thought, that's the title of the series. That's what we'll call it. We'll call it Typical. Joel can learn the song. He can sing it, and the whole, the whole series will be called Typical. And it was Friday night. And, no, I'm kidding. It was a few weeks in advance. And that series started out with a video that, that really struck the heart of a lot of people. Every, every week we play some kind of video. Most of the time we've made those ourselves. This particular one we did not make ourselves. But take a look at the screen at the video that started out this series called Typical. is the truth. 
if you turn things upside down, you can't hope for your life to change. I would be lying to you if I said that you have a great future ahead, that you can recover from your past mistakes, that your life could be filled with joy, that your children could be safe and healthy. More than anything, you must know human beings cannot accomplish these things. And I'm convinced of this because I know you. All you are capable of is failure. You have made a complete mess of your life, and I refuse to believe under any circumstances that you can turn things around in the coming years. You may think your life is bad now, but there's more to come. You have only one destiny, and whether you like it or not, this is what is real. I am the Lord your God. You should know I believe exactly the opposite. I am the Lord your God. This is what is real. And whether you like it or not, you have only one destiny. There's more to come. You may think your life is bad now, but you can turn things around in the coming years. I refuse to believe under any circumstances that you have made a complete mess of your life and all you are capable of is failure. And I'm convinced of this because I know you. Human beings cannot accomplish these things. More than anything, you must know that your children could be safe and healthy that your life could be filled with joy, that you can recover from your past mistakes. You have a great future ahead. I would be lying to you if I said that you can't hope for your life to change. If you turn things upside down, this is the truth. That video back in late August, early September, more than any other people said, how can I get that? If you're sitting there thinking, I'd love to send that to somebody, just go by the info booth. I'll go out there and let them know how to tell you to get it because last time we played that, dozens of people wanted it. And because we didn't make it, we can't just hand it out. So uh, just go by the info booth and you can find out more about it. So Jesus is saying that got us thinking about this whole series called Typical. Jesus is saying, you've heard that it was said this, but I tell you that. What he's saying is, you need to think in a different way. If your life's ever going to be different, you have to change the way you think. Because you can change a lot. You can change the way you look. You can nip it, tuck it, cover it up, suck it in, cover, do whatever you want to do. But eventually, you know, you're fighting a losing battle. But on the inside, Jesus is saying that is where the change needs to begin. That's where it has to take place. And when I change the way I think, it has a direct connection to my heart. And then my life is no longer typical. Then I'm, I'm doing what 
the Apostle Paul talked about in Romans chapter 12. This is the way he said it. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. A lot of people have sat across from me at lunch at my desk and they'll say, how do I know God's will for this? Maybe it's a relationship or a job, opportunity to move, something to purchase, something going on in their life. How do I know God's will? Because everybody wants to know, don't I mean, we all want to know what God's will is. The problem is many times, typically, we get in the middle of something, a big mess, and then all of a sudden it's, God, tell me your will. I've got myself in this mess, now I need to know your will. I haven't asked about it up until now, but now I need to know because I'm in a fix and I got it. I got to get out of this. Well, Romans chapter 12 says, don't be typical. Don't think the way the world thinks. Transform your mind. When you begin to transform your mind, it has a direct connection to your heart. And then you will be able to know, and the word there is discern. You will be able to know and understand what God's will is. So when anybody says, how do I know God's will? I begin to ask them, what, tell me some things you think about. What do you dwell on? What, and they're like, whoa, 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 I didn't, you're getting a little personal. I didn't want to tell you that. I said, well, that's the key to understanding God's will is not just throwing up a bunch of questions and saying, God, give me answers. It's taking steps to not be typical and to transform your mind. So the big thought for that whole series was allowing God to transform my mind will change the direction of my life. And that word in Romans chapter 12, transform, comes from the Greek word metamorpho, which we get our word metamorphosis or morph. You want to morph your mind? You want to to know God's will? Then start to change the way you think. And then it will change the direction of your life. Jesus says if you're going to go against the typical and change the way you think, you need to realize it's going to take some time. It's not an overnight thing. It's not something that just happens tomorrow, but it's deciding I'm going to change the way I think and not think like the world thinks anymore. Because typically, here's what people think. If I can just change my surroundings and and live in a different place, or maybe if I could date somebody different or be married to somebody different, or if I just had a a higher paying job, then then life would be better and, and, and everything would be okay. My life would be on a good direction. So I'm going to change everything. I'm going to move. And then you move. And then it's not long until... The same problems are coming up again. And then, and then you say, well, I, it's the relationships in my life. I need a whole new group of friends. So then you change, and i got a whole new group of friends now. And then you know what? Here come the same problems again. What was the common denominator in all those changes? What I found out pretty quickly in life, I can't go where I'm not. Everywhere, every, first service laughed at that. Everywhere I go, everywhere I go, I am. So you can't get away from yourself. So if you're one of those guys that say, man, I'm just dating girl after girl, it just dumps me. I just can't get a girl to stay with me. Or I just job after job after job. Think about the common denominator. Maybe it's not the girl's problem, the guy's problem. Maybe it's not the job situation or the city you live in. Maybe it's the common denominator that needs to be transformed. And that's what Romans chapter 12 is talking about. Don't be typical. Let the change start in you. Also in this series called Typical, I talked, I did a whole message about worry. 
And evidently, many of you deal with the same thing I deal with, worry. Because more people than any other message throughout the whole year came and said, can I get a copy of that? Can, can, can I see the notes? Can, I, can we talk about that? And man, I really liked it when you said this. I liked it when you said that. Evidently, a lot of people worry. I got an email that week, or a few weeks later, and, and a guy that said, I, I downloaded that thing, and I took it to my office, and I made everybody listen to it. Because, you know, we're a bunch of worriers. And the big point that day was trusting God with tomorrow gives me peace today. Trusting God with tomorrow gives me peace today. Jesus Christ had a lot to say about worry. He said this in Matthew 6. That's why I tell you, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more important than food or you, and your body more important than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Someday I want to interview someone that's 100 years old. If you know anybody that's willing to come and sit right here and let me interview them, I would love to, I'd love to hear those stories and think, one century, probably outlived maybe even their children, maybe probably everybody in their family, probably all their friends at 100 years old. And I, just, I would love to sit and talk to somebody like that. But let's say we brought a 100-year-old person up here and we sat him in this chair and we said, tell us how you got to 100 because I would like to see it myself. How did you get there? I doubt they would say, I worried. I, I just, I, I, I worried all the time. I was just concerned about my kids and my future, my job, my money, and my, my I was just, I worried. I, oh gosh, that's just 100 years of worry. I doubt that's what they would say. They would probably say, well, early on, I'll learn not to sweat the small stuff. Early on, I learned not to take life too serious. I learned not to take myself too seriously. Early on, I learned the key to a successful, joyful life is not worrying. And they probably learned early on, not only does worry hurt you spiritually, worry hurts you physically. Go in and tell your doctor, I worry all the time. That's all I do. And they're going to tell you, well, you better prepare. <laughs> Because you're not going to make it a long time if all you do is worry. Worry is nothing more than looking at the future negatively and looking at the future and trying to control it. Jesus, what, what he really said, if this were translated word for word, literally from Greek, he said, that's why I tell you not to think too much about life. What he's trying to say is, I've got the future covered. Bottom line, Jesus is saying, trust me. I mean, it's okay to make plans. It's okay to look out into the future. It's just, use a pencil. When you write down your plans, do it with a pencil, because who knows what's coming your way? Who's doing now what you thought you would be doing 15 or 20 years ago? Some people might. I am definitely not. And most of you probably aren't either. So you know you can't plan out the next 15 years and know that it's going to go that way. But still, people worry, 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 trying to make sure that everything just goes to plan. So when I was preparing for this message on worry, six or eight months ago, I go into my daughter's room, my nine-year-old daughter, Abby, and I said, Abby, are you ever worried that, that uh, Dad is uh, not going to make the mortgage payment? She's like, well, what's a mortgage? <laughs> you know, she wasn't really sure what that was. 
So I explained to her what that was and everything, and, and, and it turns out she's not worried about it. And I asked her about the, you know, the, the, the bills, you know, if there's going to be food on the table. And it turns out she's not worried about any of that stuff. She knows that I've got it all covered. What if my nine-year-old came into my room, sat on my lap, and said, Dad, I'm really worried that we might not make the mortgage this month. And I saw Progress Energy down there on an envelope in the kitchen. And I'm, I, 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 have you paid that yet? <laughs> and, and mom takes me to school every day. It, it, car insurance, car payments, all that taken care of. What if she came in and, and did that? I would say something like, Abby, you don't have to worry about those little insignificant details. Dad's got all that covered. You enjoy being nine years old. You enjoy, you have fun, you be with your friends. I've got all that covered. I think that's the same thing God tries to communicate to us when we say, I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about my finances. I'm worried about this relationship. I'm worried about five years from now. I'm worried about 10 years from now. And we dwell on it, dwell on it, dwell on it. I think God's trying to say to us, would you stop? I've got all that under control. That's what Jesus said. I'm taking care of the, the birds and I'm taking care of the flowers. You're much more valuable than they are. I've got this future thing covered. Yeah, make plans. That's, that makes sense to make plans, but use a pencil and realize that you can't plan it all out. That God doesn't design, did not design us to live a life worrying about the next day. Rewind a little bit further to a series called Mosaic. Sitting around the staff table, the teaching team table, we were talking about how much we want people to grow. That's the big thing. Every series, every message, everything, every activity, we think, how can we design this and present this in a way that helps people grow? So I began to think about people in my life I know that are growing, that, that I would say that person has a deep, growing faith. I've watched them grow. How do they do it? Well, I'll tell you how they don't do it. They don't do it by just showing up on Sunday morning for an hour and saying, all right, you got 60 minutes? I got 60 minutes? Give me what you got. People don't grow that way. Hopefully you can get encouraged that way. Hopefully you can get motivated that way. But growth your growth is not my responsibility. It's not, it's not any church leader's responsibility. Your growth is your responsibility. And when people grow spiritually, they take it upon themselves to take advantage of opportunities to grow spiritually. They figured out a way to become a self-feeder and grow. My responsibility and the leader's responsibility is provide opportunities for you to take control of your own spiritual life and grow. So we're opportunity providers. We can't miraculously in 60 minutes make anybody grow. My wife wants me to plant a tree in our front yard. My wife and I, really, we, we don't really argue, but we have argued about this, this tree. Because you know how long it would take a tree that I plant in my front yard to provide shade for the front porch? 20 years? I'm like, honey, I just, I'm not in for that. You know, 20 years, it takes a long time. We're going to be retired. 
many years from now, sitting on our front porch, sun beating down on our face, and she's going to be saying, I told you you should have planted that tree. A lot of people want that kind of growth. I mean, if I could have a tree in like a year, I would invest the time, money, go do it. A lot of people want to grow like that. They want to just quickly plant, quickly water, and then boom. They want to show up for an hour and say, give me everything I need so I can grow. It just doesn't work that way. It's a process. So it got us thinking about this series that we ended up calling Mosaic because a mosaic is something that has a bunch of little pieces that when you back up and look at it, all of a sudden it it makes sense. So spiritual disciplines, that's what we talked about. And a spiritual discipline is simply, I took this from John Ortberg's book, The Life You Always Wanted. He says this, any activity I do by direct effort that will help me do what I cannot now do by direct effort. That's a spiritual discipline. So we thought, well, what if we taught through some spiritual disciplines, picked out four or five, we picked out prayer, rest, um, anybody remember? Prayer, rest, fasting, and Bible reading. We picked out those four disciplines and went through that thinking, if people could just begin to put these things into their life, it would provide an opportunity For them to grow. Maybe not in a day, maybe not even in a month, but begin to develop these habits in your life, and you're going to step back one day and say, wow, I've experienced some spiritual growth in my life. In that series, I did a message on prayer. Remember, I handed out the little rocks if you were here, gave everybody a rock, and talked about a mountain-moving prayer, because the big point that day was, there are things I won't experience because I don't pray. Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. I used to read that and think, well, Jesus is clearly speaking metaphorically because there is no way you could pray and have a mountain move from this place to that place. Never heard that happen before. But if you research a little deeper and find out something about the the terrain, the culture, when Jesus was talking to this group of people and he said, if you say to this mountain, move from here to there, here's what they were looking at. They were looking at King Herod's mountain that he built Because he wanted his palace to be the highest. It's still there today. If you go there today, it's still there. He wanted his mountain to be the highest around so he could look out over the whole city. So Herod had all of this dirt and rock. They don't even know where it came from, but somewhere there's a big hole, you know. And they brought this dirt and rock and they built this mountain. So Jesus is talking to a group of his followers and he's saying, if you have faith as little as this mustard seed, And you say to that mountain, move from here to there, it'll move. What he's saying is, you can accomplish something as great as what Herod did. You think that's a big deal because he moved all this rock from here to there. You can accomplish something just as great or even greater when you pray. So Jesus is saying, when I pray mountain-moving prayers, mountains in my life get moved. So I gave everybody a rock, and I said, pray some mountain-moving prayers. And the responses were amazing. I, I began to hear people say, yeah, I prayed that mountain-moving prayer. I've got, a, I've got a rock for every one of my kids and all my family members right here in my console in my car. Mine, mine on my desk that I had mountain-moving prayers, specifically about where God would take our church. And it became so clear, and so many doors opened. And what I encourage you to do in 2008 If you didn't hear that message, all these messages I'm talking about are either on the website or they're out there at the info booth. You can go by and pick them up if you want to hear the whole thing. But in 2008, 
You may not have a physical rock, and I think we may have some extra ones out there, but pray mountain-moving prayers and watch the mountains in your life start to move. Because I know in a crowd this size, some of you are facing some pretty big mountains that you hope get moved out of your life. Now, rewind a little bit back. At this point, you're probably thinking, man, is he going to go through every message that he did in 2007? No, I'm skipping all the way back to February now, way, way back. I read this statistic once that 80% of marriages will experience some kind of marital infidelity. 80%. And I thought, that's a bunch. That's way too many. That's way too many to ignore. So I feel like I need to teach about something to do with marriages and relationships. And I began to research, and I found this material, great material called Love Affair. And we did a whole series called Love Affair. And in that series, I did, um, it, was, it was a four or five part series, and there was a, we had a licensed marriage and family therapist come, and I interviewed him on the stage. And, and, but one of the series, one of the messages in that series were called Lessons from the Ledge. And I talked about King David, who was a king in the Old Testament, who was out on the roof. Second Samuel tells this story in the Old Testament about David being out on the roof of his palace, and he looks down, and he sees this woman taking a bath in the evening. And that began a downward spiral of a man who was a great man of God, who God had, God had ordained to accomplish great things. And he's standing on the edge of his palace, looking over, thinking, I'd like to get to know her. And then he messed up and he slept in the wrong bed. So I did a whole message. What, what would be some lessons, if David could come, what would be some lessons that he would share with us when it comes to temptation, when it comes to not stepping over the edge? See, the thing, when you read this story, you just read through it, find out he's on the edge of the housetop. But Houses in that area, even now in the Middle East, all the roofs are flat. And if you're out on the roof, there's a railing, like a wall, that's all the way around. So in order to see over the edge, you would have to be walking out to the end of the ledge and peering over. Where David had this huge palace, he could have been anywhere he wanted to, but for some reason that day, he was peering over probably because he knew what he would see. And he's here on the ledge, and he looks over, and he plummets to his spiritual death. And then come the lies, and then come the cover-up, and then come all these things that, that he tries to fix. But he can't because he stepped over the edge. And God forgave him, and he was still a man after God's own heart. But he went through a lot of pain and a lot of rejection, all because of that day, standing on the edge of the ledge when he should have been back safely on the roof of the palace. So when it comes to temptation, there's some lessons we can learn from that. Several years ago, right before my wife and I got married, I'm watching the Barbara Walters special. It shows how exciting my Thursday nights were. But I'm watching the Barbara Walters special. Billy Graham is on there. And I'm, I'm watching her interview you know, one of the greatest spiritual leaders in the world in, of all time. And Billy Graham is, is, is you know answering all these questions. She gets to the end and she says... Out of all the things that you've done, what is your greatest accomplishment? And he's accomplished a lot as far as ministry goes. Man, people have been influenced by his teaching and, and it just how it lives on. And, and she said, what's your greatest accomplishment? And he responded with, that I have always been faithful to my wife. 
And I was like, oh, that's it. I want to be that age and look back and say, I've always been faithful to my wife. So, guys, ladies, here's a little bit of advice. Like, when I'm tempted, I just think about Billy Graham. So, so that works, man. I mean, 100% of the time, that will work. So, here's David out on this ledge, looking over and falling. My family and I have taken several trips to the Grand Canyon, and if you walk up to the edge of the canyon, if you're at the, the touristy spot, there's a rail, so you don't fall over the edge. And I've noticed they don't put the rails right at the edge where if you fall over the rail, you're, you know, you're going hundreds of feet to your death. They back it up a little bit from the edge as if to say, well, for you crazies that like to go over the rail, if you do, you're still not going to plummet to your death for a little while. So there's some rails that are backed up from the edge of the canyon. So in my life, spiritually, wouldn't it make sense if I know where the edge is, and I do, and you do too if you're an adult, you know where the edge is, wouldn't it make sense to, to put some rails in our life to keep us from plummeting over the edge to a spiritual and relational, maybe a marriage death? So I just decided a long time ago I was going to put some rails up in my life. We've got a mixed, group, mixed age group in here. I won't share all of them, but I will share some that I have. One rail that I have, so if this is the ledge, I've decided, well, I've got a rail out there that's back here that says, I'm going to cultivate my relationship with God. That's a rail. Another rail I have in my life is I will not share the details of my marriage with anyone of the opposite sex. Problems, struggles, any of that, just won't do it. Another rail is I, I won't develop a relationship with anyone of the opposite sex that my wife is not also in a relationship with. Another rail might seem simple. I won't ride or have lunch or go anywhere alone with the person of the opposite sex. Another rail in my life is I will not view explicit material on my computer or on TV. Another rail is my wife can look at my computer anytime she wants. She can look at the history that's not cleared out, not emptied. It's just a rail in my life. And there's several more. I have accountability in my life. People I know know me and can ask me anything. That's another rail. Do You see the wisdom in putting rails up away from the ledge because everybody's got temptations. Everybody's got problems. Everybody makes mistakes. Anybody in here perfect? I just, I've said this before, if you are, you have found the wrong church because don't come back if you're perfect because you'll mess up what we got going. Um, but these rails are in my life, so when I do, like everybody does, when I make a mistake and I fall, I'm not going over the ledge. I'm not plummeting to my spiritual death. Yeah, I've made a mistake, but I back up, I straighten the rail back up, and I stay behind it. But if I'm all the way out here like David was looking for a peep show, the first century equivalent of internet pornography, if I'm all the way out here looking around and I fall, then I'm gone. So evidently people felt the need back in February when I delivered this message to have some rails in their life because I've gotten emails, 
phone calls, notes in the mail that, have, that said, hey, thanks so much because I, I needed some rails and that gave me some rails in my life. Thank you so much for doing that. So maybe that 80% can begin to go down because of some influence that, that we can have as leaders and some influence you can have as friends, as neighbors, as brothers, sisters. Rewind a little bit further back, and we started out the whole year with a message series called One, just the number one. First few weeks of the year, I talked about the importance of one. I went through Luke chapter 15, where Jesus tells three stories about something that's lost, and three stories about how that something is found, and how when, when that person was found, when someone is found, when they're lost and found, what a big party takes place in heaven. And I said, we want to have a lot of parties because we want to find one person that needs some kind of change in their life and help them one person at a time for however long it takes. We're not about just clicking off numbers. And, and I, I do look at numbers, and I know about how many people attend, and, and I know about budget and all that stuff. Those are kind of a necessary thing. And that is a way to evaluate effectiveness, but here it's not the primary way. The primary way when we're sitting in a staff meeting and we're talking is we, all, we, we don't say, how many people we have this week? That, that tells if we're growing or not. We don't, that, that's not a way we evaluate it. The way we evaluate it is, do you have any one life stories to tell? Is there anybody out there that you've had an impact on helping them change their life? Because one time I was that life that needed some, somebody or something in it. And people reached out to me. I was the one. And if you're a follower of Christ, there was a day you were the one. And as 2008 begins this week, if, if you've been around LifePoint for a long time, you know that, that some big changes are coming up. Becoming a multiple site church. Launching a whole other campus 12 miles north. One church, two locations. But it can never stop being about the one. The one. And Every week I get an email from Rob Perry, our community life pastor, that says, hey, don't forget to mention the one. And by that, we know that he means don't forget to let people know they can go out to theater too and talk to anybody about anything. And he's taking time to equip those people to, to deal with whatever you, you need to talk to and to hand resources off to you and, and truly care about the one. I'm sorry I don't always remember, but most of the time I remember and let you know that there's somebody there that you can go talk to. So as we charge into 2008 with some big changes in 53 days coming our way, it never can stop being about the one. So when you have to sit there on a Sunday morning, and half the time this message would have been here, one, still me or one of the other teaching pastors, but it would be on the screen. Remember, it's not about seeing somebody live or not talk. It's about changing one life at a time. When you look around and say, where's that person? Oh, they're now at LifePoint in Wakefield. Remember, it's not about that. It's about one life at a time. So I just want to challenge you in 2008, as we look back at 2007 and all the big ideas that God somehow put into our church and touched the hearts of people through something that was said from this stage. Think about all that as we move into 2008 and go to new places where we've never been before. But I'm convinced God is leading us, and it can never stop being about the one. So this year ends the same way it began, encouraging you to touch one life, one life at a time, 
And you'll make a bigger difference doing that than anything else you could do. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, just the way we can look back and hear the messages that, that you put into our hearts all throughout this year. Father, may we never forget that whether we're dealing with something in our own life or trying to get back from the ledge or trying to stop worrying or trying to learn to pray or just trying to transform our thoughts, that, that it's always about helping one other person take one more step closer to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today you have an opportunity to give. The Bible says, give as you've purposed in your heart. So those of you that are regular attenders at LifePoint, now's the time uh, that the popcorn buckets come around and, and you put your offering and tithes in there. If you're here for the first time, please don't feel obligated uh, to give. But those of you that are regular attenders and regularly give to LifePoint, now's your opportunity. God, we pray for this offering. We ask that you bless it. We ask that it's all used to continue to make a difference in the world as, as we lead LifePoint to the place uh, where you've uh, prepared for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can stand, everybody stand up. And when the offering buckets uh, get all the way to the back, just let you know you're dismissed. Thanks for coming today. I uh, appreciate you being here. Have a great New Year's. Have a great 2008. If you're here for the first time, thank you so much for coming. Hope, I hope you can uh, come back next week.